Welcome to the Taiwan. Today's episode is part two of a discussion about facing the different social, athletic, and academic pressures of college. We are continuing along with two of my childhood friends, Danny and Rich, about how they navigated those pressures at the same college. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to episode one, and in two weeks, look out for episode three, which will air, which focuses on the city of Portland and the protests going on there. Danny currently lives in Portland and gives us a good history of the city, as well as what's currently going on there with the protests. If you haven't done so, please subscribe to our show and make sure to check out our website, thetimewin.net, for more information on each episode, as well as information on our monthly book club. So what do you guys, what do you guys think was your, your biggest source of, um, of, of wanting, of, of not liking the college experience? Do you think it was like the academic pressure at Colgate? Do you think you were just kind of over sports? Like you had played for your whole life growing up? Like, I mean, as you guys know, I, I didn't play all four years of football in college, you know, like I kind of just got to a point where I was just like, I'm over playing football, you know, it's not the same as you know, growing up playing with all your friends, playing high school football together, you know, like it's it's different. So do you think it was academics? You think it was being a student athlete? What was your biggest thing that made you upset? Well, I think for me, I think I was really disillusioned with um, the social side of Colgate. You know, I, th- I, th- I think that there was you know, going into my sophomore year, I was like, you know, what, as I mentioned, one of the things I was really excited about, is like, I, I can dive in, you know, I'm, I'm jumping in with both feet, um, you know, because I can be part of this, like, fraternity thing, I can be, you know, I'm, you know, really involved in the lacrosse thing, like, academically, I'm figuring myself, whatever, but on the social front, you know, one, like, the whole idea of, that I had my freshman year, when I saw these upperclassmen, that were like, you know, in the fraternity scene and like, you know, that's driving their social life and like connecting them with the sorority scene and all of mm-hmm. all of these things and whatever else. And like within like, you know, I go through the pledging period, I realize that it's just a bunch of clowns that are like, it's just a power trip and that they just get mm-hmm. to, you know, exert their, you know, authority in air quotes on a younger group mm-hmm. of kids. And like it was just this big shell game. So like I think that that was the reality that by the by my sophomore, like I said, when soft when things kind of got sour my sophomore year, I was like, "Oy, this is um, you know, Division One athletics is a job. It's not right. always fun. So there, right. it's a big, big commitment, and it's just like it it it's taxing on your body, on your mind, on every on you know your social, emotional, physical self. Um, but then I guess that. <clears throat> As my college career progressed into my junior year, um, you know, my junior fall, I was like living in the fraternity house. Um, we got into some trouble um, and, uh, and everybody got actually kicked out of our house for the, for the rest of the year. So I got thrown into, um, luckily, some of my lacrosse teammates um, lived in a, in an on-campus apartment and like s- residential life was just placing us into different, different apartments because, you know, they had, if it's campus housing, they'd be like, Oh, you have an extra spot in your apartment. You have a new roommate. And this is like <laughs> seniors and seniors that are, are like, you know, they're, they're living on time. So they've chosen who they're going to live with. And yeah. They're like, wait a second. Now I have a literally a roommate within my apartment right. sharing a room like with this, with some random kid. <laughs> 
so that happened which only further was like this place is dumb like i'm just like even like my whole social thing was in, in a sense it was one it, it was a blessing and a curse like on the one hand it it ended abruptly that whole fraternity experience and frankly when that happened i was very relieved because um once like at least in, with, with our fraternal organization, like once you're in, like you're in, like you don't really get out. And so this was an opportunity that, you know, like the national order of the fraternity kind of came in. It was just like, we're going to make sure everybody is worthy to be a brother of this fraternal <laughs> or is like all this BS. And so, so they're like, so I just showed up at that interview and I was like, I, I have no desire to be here. I am not this guy. You know, I'm, I'm not part of this. I don't want to be. I think you guys are clowns. And, and, then, and I stood up and I walked out and didn't ever really think. I, I still loved all the guys that, you know, many of my best friends to this day are still part of that. But I I was more than happy to walk away from that, from that, that whole scene, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then by my senior year, you know, I was really just, I I, I think that I had realized that, you know, Colgate's a very small place. The, the, the social circle, circle that I kind of locked myself into in my first two to three semesters there, um, you know, was like, not so much my, my tightest one, because I, I loved, like, I had a really great group of core best friends, but the larger kind of group really didn't, I didn't really identify as being like really an insider with that group. Um, you know, it was all, you know, folks that were like, it is, I'm sure you you can imagine, Richie, it's like all the folks that are, you know, graduating from Colgate, they're going to Boston or New York, they're going to go into the financial realm and do that thing. And that was just the furthest thing from the person that I was becoming. And so, you know, I was really, really detached from the whole college experience by my senior year where I was leaving campus a lot of the weekends. I mean, I was going through the motions with lacrosse. Um, I was just kind of doing my academics, but I was just kind of plan- trying to figure out what to do next. But, you know, I, I had a foot out the door from the day that I stepped foot on campus my senior year. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think that it's just a matter of like, you, you, I love Colgate because it helped me grow into the person that I, I then became. In mm-hmm. a lot of ways, it was it kind of exposing me to the person that I did not want to become. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny now that like looking back, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't say I had a bad experience there. I don't know that I would choose to have the, have the same experience there. You know, hmm. I'm grateful for it, but yeah. I wouldn't necessarily choose it again. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Dan, you said a lot of things that um, I think into those problems that I felt. Um, was, listen, it's a job to play football right and just like anything in life you've been doing it for a long time sort of effortlessly um not saying that i didn't try hard but like i was able to get things right like i was able to get along and be on the top tier and all of a sudden it was getting really hard to do that right it's really hard to be a student it's really hard to be in it to to get over the hump, right? I know now as a 40 year old, it's totally normal, right? Like there's plenty of good kids like you were and I were that, you know, 
you're not going to get over the hump athletically to be what you have in your head you're going to be. That happens more times than it doesn't. But I didn't know that. And I let it sort of snowball me into, you know, like you said, just the the social scene of hanging out and, you know, going out four nights a week when I didn't have football related things and, you know, going through the motions, you know, I didn't go through the motions with football ever, but I did with academics, right? Like I did with, with my grades. Um, and, you know, again, I think it all goes back to the pressures of going to a pretty strenuous school academically where, you know, to be very clear, there are no breaks for athletes at Colgate. It's the opposite. They do their best to challenge athletes more than the average student um, and sort of make us prove that we can be a student and play sports, right? Like it was like a constant prove it thing. Um, and I think that wore on me a little bit, but at the same time, um, you know, it, I look back at it fondly that it helps me be who I am, but it also motivates me to do the things that I'm doing now. Right. Like I, I am actively involved with what we call the Maroon Council. I'm not sure what the name of the lacrosse one is uh, for you guys, Dan, but like I'm actively involved and more specifically, I'm actively involved in the experience of students of color that play football. You know, these are going to, it's going to affect the black students at Colgate and other students uh, of color um, that might be, they might feel like I do one day or I did one day. Right. And I want to make sure the resources are there very via myself and other alum that weren't there for me when I get into those sort of disenchanted and I'm over this stages, right? Sometimes you are really over it and maybe it's best for you to step away. But a lot of times you just got to know that, Hey, there's other people that have been there before and they will make you'll make it out of it right and and we can't tell you how but we can tell you that we did post uh post college both of you move or have lived in in urban settings right so rich you lived in atlanta you live in new york now dan you lived in new york seattle you live in portland now how do you think you know things are different now or what have you taken with you from from colgate now living in an urban setting You know, that's, it, it's interesting um, because, you know, Colgate's very much this little bubble. I mean, Hamilton, New York has what, like three stoplights in the whole town? <laughs> I mean, it's- Yeah, so, I think uh, it's three. I think so. I, I remember being in lacrosse practice and you would literally hear cows mooing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it, it's out in the sticks. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I think that, you know, the, the challenges that Rich just spoke to about, you know, really challenging yourself to and to be taking on having a very full plate and in, in, in taking on probably more than you can chew at, at any one time I mean that uh, that builds some builds some resiliency you know within you which can only help in a more urban environment I do think on the flip side like it in no way got me was had me prepared to for and 
Portland was one thing. Like I, I initially moved to Portland for the first two years right after school. Um, then I moved back and, and lived um, um, right on the outskirts of New York. Um, in no way was New York, like, was I prepared for New York City after four years in Hamilton, New York. And, <laughs> oh God, I was, I do remember my, you know, I had, I was living in, I was renting a room in Yonkers. Um, and it was myself, the owner was, um, the black guy who was fantastic, he's a jazz musician, and um, and this and another African American was my other roommate, and and just like being exposed really to like they knew New York City, you know they're born and raised like going in they're going into the Bronx all the time and like come here come there and I was like, you know especially with you know two years removed from from a very bucolic <laughs> college mm -hmm. experience and then Portland Oregon as we were talking before this started is like this like forested fairyland and then, and then to be in the midst of this real urban center. I mean, I don't know that Colgate really did really prepared me for that necessarily. But, but I felt like, I mean, I had the tools, I think just based on being challenged throughout my first, my four years there to take on really whatever a big city wanted to throw at me. So what, I, was, that, what was that like having two black roommates? It was cool, man. I mean, they were, I was just, you know, I was, I had gotten a job. I was teaching middle school with zero academic experience teaching, by the way, outside of being a geology tutor, of course. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I was, uh, I had my hands full, but I mean, we all kind of had our own things going on, but, you know, there was plenty of just, you know, evenings we just sit around and, and just shoot the breeze around the dinner table and stuff. And, you know, for me, it was really helpful, especially after being in Portland for two years, which is like the whitest city in America. Um, I've heard that. Um, yeah, I think it's so um, To really be, be exposed to that sort of diversity of, uh, and not even just like, you know, cultural diversity, just diversity of thought, diversity mm -hmm. of experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, it was a very formative time in that regard that I probably didn't take advantage, like looking back, I certainly didn't take advantage of it and, and you know, tag along with them as many times it was offered, you know, to, plus they, they, they were also probably a decade older than me at the time. I was like 25. <laughs> they were like in their mid thirties or older. So, um, dinosaurs, they could have, but it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good growing experience. That's for sure. That's good. You know what, Dan, what you just said, I, I knew that you were in the New York area when I first came to the New York area. And I remember us trying to meet up, but we never did. That's because we lived on completely opposite parts of New York. Yeah. I was out in Far Rockaway. If you were in Yonkers, you cannot be two further places in the tri-state area. Yeah. But that also makes sense why it was we were never able to connect because we were coming from such different places. Now, I literally, maybe this might be the theme of my life. When I first left Colgate and came to New York finally, it was like going to Colgate and having Dan there, right? I had family here. I had friends through my cousins that are of similar age. So that was easy. But now you fast forward, when I met my wife and we were first just dating, I started spending more and more times in Manhattan and the Bronx, right? Fast forward, when we get really serious, I'm now, my wife is of Dominican heritage. I'm now spending time in Harlem and, and the Bronx and, and Washington Heights more and more. 
And my whole perspective of Latino culture has changed because I didn't have one before, right? Like I didn't have that before. So, you know, the big changes for me were that it, it was kind of like, hey, this is sort of like going to a school like Colgate all over again, right? Like I'm, I'm now in a paradigm shift where, you know, because of the makeup of the world, sadly, yes, when I'm at work, it's mostly, you know, white collar or trending towards up eventually going to be wealthy white collar, white people that I'm around. But then when I'm in my private moments, I'm in my solitude, I'm with my wife and her family, which is urban, Dominican, Afro-Latino, right? So complete opposite of Baldwinsville, complete opposite of Colgate, right? But being in situations like I was leaving Baldwinsville and the just completely different dynamics than what I was comfortable to, being exposed to that, going to a school like Dan and I did, kind of made it sort of, I was trained at a young age, even though I didn't know I was being trained on how to rapidly adapt and make changes and survive in environments that are nothing like what I'm accustomed to, right? Like my comfort zone became a adaptable thing, right? Like all of us have what we're ultimately comfortable with, but more of us than not, have things that they can't be comfortable with. They're not willing to live in environments and be in environments that are so far from what they've known. Um, and I look back to everything, you know, Dan and I speak about, about being two kids from the same town that went to the same college and have two different experiences and didn't spend much time together. I look back at all of that and that's sort of how I was able to live the life that I'm living now, right? Like I live on 158th of Riverside Drive in Manhattan, New York now, right? Like, there's no way I ever saw that coming from Baltimore, New York. There's no scenario I ever saw it, right? Like, I never had black neighbors. I never saw black people everywhere I went. And now I do. But I've now lived in New York City more than I ever lived in upstate New York at our age, right? Like, my life has changed. And quite frankly, I... I tell everybody it's really changed for the better because I've, I've gotten all this different perspective, all this different sort of angles. Like Dan said, he didn't take advantage of sort of the diversity of thought and those experiences that his roommates and Yonkers could have given him. I feel like I got a lot of perspective and experience before um, I even got to this stage of my life. And then really, as I was maturing to this stage in my life and now living in a more urban environment, and now living around fellow people of color more, I've gotten a whole different perspective, right? Like, and I put it all together. I can just understand, or at least I'm willing to understand and engage with people on a level. I don't know if I would have, if I had just followed a track of comfort, right? Like I like being around this. I like living in this type of neighborhood. I grew up in a suburb. I want to live in a suburb. Like if I had just done that, and I'm sure I could have, because a lot of people do it. If I had done that, I don't think it would have enhanced my perspective for the times that we're living in in America today. Like 
the journey that I've been on has. Well, Rich, I know you and I have talked about this before, um, just how we, we said that our, our upbringing, we think it, it helps us to navigate in the professional world um, today. Um, but now you're saying like how you, living now, like how it's changed for the better living in, uh, in New York. So, um, so what, what would you think then? What, do, what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that it, it would have been better to grow up the way that you did? Or do you think it would be better to grow up kind of in the environment that you're in now? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I can quantify that one as a better or worse, mm -hmm. but you know, all things being the same, assuming I'd still be able to, to sort of process and absorb things the way I do, which I probably would because of, you know, regardless of where I was raised, my parents are who they are and there's their principles and, and, you know, what they've instilled in me would still be there. Um, I think it's probably a, a easier perspective to start off living in an environment like I live currently mm -hmm. and resign to the suburbs than it is for people that live like we grew up and then live a life like I'm living now. I, you know, I don't want to shortchange people. I am not surprised by anything people can achieve and accomplish, but I can't see many people that we grew up with in our circle um, in particular living a 100% urban lifestyle period, much more at the speed of New York City. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part two on this three part interview. Make sure to check out part three of this interview in two weeks. And remember, everyone has a story.